And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Melissa McKenzie. She's publisher at The American Spectator. Melissa, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, thank you for having me. A couple days ago, you wrote a wonderful article in The American Spectator. The title was, The Nation's Pulse, A House Divided Along New Lines, Fighting Over Who Gets to Run the House. And I love the illusion, and I I went back and I looked this up. Um, It's actually a scriptural illusion, as well as a more modern quote from Abraham Lincoln. But the scriptural illusion had to do with uh, Jesus, and uh, he had just cast out a demon, and the Pharisees were accusing him, saying that he cast out demons by the prince of demons. And uh, he knew their thoughts, <laughs> he knew what they were thinking, and he corrected them. And he explained that every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And he went on to explain that he cast out demons by the Spirit of God, because the kingdom of God had come upon them in the person of Christ. So uh, anyway, that's... A little bit of background, I think. Uh, perhaps you had some of that in your mind. But can you explain this article, A House Divided Along New Lines? And I just love the way you kind of laid it out for people like me to understand what's going on in our nation. Well, there's been a lot of talk about a realignment with the voting public and the populace. And it's been happening kind of gradually, and then it's happened all at once now. Um, you're absolutely correct, by the way, about the illusion that I was making. I was making, I was actually um, not talking about Abraham Lincoln. I was talking about um, Jesus Christ mm. and, and how a house divided cannot stand. And this is what I'm wondering. One side... And the fight that we're having now is going to have to surrender to the other, or else um, our republic won't last for very long with this kind of tension that we have right now. And basically, America used to just have a whole bunch of things that we agreed on. And 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 when I'm talking about that America, I'm talking post-World War II forward. We had the, you know, the revolution. Um, we had World War One, and then a very fatigued world got into World War Two, and then there was kind of a post World War Two alignment, and Americans were united against communism, and they saw it as a great evil, and that's because they had seeing it close up and they understood what it meant and uh, even still we had the Walter Durantes and the people who were um, being apologists for Russia and then you know Mao and we still have those people but but most everybody believed that America was a force for good and by that all citizens of America all of our media was pro-America um, during World War II. The movies were pro-America. It wasn't like during the Iraq War where 
Hollywood, every single movie, even though they all lost money, was against America. And so this has been coming for a long time where we have people, we have the elites um, of America who just don't think that America is that great of a place. They are looking, they hunger for something bigger. They want a, um, they want to redistribute not only the middle class's wealth to the needy in America because they've shipped jobs overseas, but those shipping jobs overseas, doing business around the world has created a situation where um, America's culture and hegemony is being redistributed. Mm. And so, so our money goes to third world countries to solve their problems. Our business goes to third world countries to build their cultures and it has gutted America. And, uh, and in pleasing the markets, not just in America and around the world, um, and this has been a relatively new development really since I think the 70s when um, there was a really bad confluence of things that happened. The uh, America made gas guzzling cars. There was an oil crunch. Asian um, manufacturers were making cars and um, they started to be of higher quality from Japan and Korea whatnot. And uh, the United States unions were being irrational and uh, greedy. And so the businesses were like, rather than dealing with the unions, they um, moved jobs overseas mm -hmm. or down to Mexico. It destroyed, you know, now it's called the Rust Belt for a reason. It used to be the gold belt of America. And uh, you know, between steel mills and paper mills and textile mills in New York and, um, you know, cars and trucks out of Detroit and, and, uh, and, uh, Ohio. And you had all of that, um, leave America's shores. And so all of these blue collar high wage jobs left America and it was um, exciting at first because costs of things went down, mm -hmm. you know, and so everybody could afford things that the rich people could afford, except for the people who were losing their jobs and couldn't pay for anything. Right. And, you know, became wards of the state. Not only that, it made uh, America more... Um, interconnected with the world, but it also made us more vulnerable at the same time. And this is something, you know, that I really hadn't given a ton of thought about, I've got to be honest, until Donald Trump came around, because I'm a fairly free market person. Yeah, me too. But when, when I saw what happened with, like, for example, our medical equipment, that China caused a worldwide pandemic and then kept all of the supplies that we paid for. Correct. And from, from our... Um, industry and they didn't send it to us and they kept it for their own population, I was like, we are very vulnerable from a security standpoint. Mm -hmm. We can't even make 
antibiotics in America because nobody does it because it's so expensive to do and it's cheaper and there's less regulation in China. And that's when I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) And so you have these, so, you know, on the one side, you've got the business, entertainment, media, um, college professors, you kind of have this oligarchy of uh, elites here in America and their shock troops are the people on the dole at the bottom end of the, who do feel disenfranchised mm-hmm. and who have been abused by the system. And ironically, the, the, uh, promote, the abusers pr- continue to promise them a seat at the table in power, and they do get some of that. Some of their people do. Um, but they get abused in the process. And, and it's, so these two groups of people have turned against the middle class and um, because they have fundamentally different values than um, the uh, entrepreneur class, the blue collar worker class, the, um, you know, the service workers, that sort of thing. The people who have to go and do for their job um, and, are resisting this. They tend to be more patriotic, church going, all of these, you know, various things. They just want to be left alone. We saw Mm -hmm. the seeds of this with the Tea Party, but it's expanded now because we've got, um, and the Democrats have been kind of shocked. And now you see all these think pieces being really mean about Hispanic people. How dare they? (laughs) Well, these are, and middle-class black people are starting to vote Republican. Sure. And and why? Because they're church-going people. They have businesses. They work hard. And um, they're seeing them, they're what they believe and uh, work hard for being taken and redistributed, and the rich people get richer. Mm. And they're less affected by it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like the term that you use here. As you're making the contrast, which is accurate, you call it the oligarchy of America. Uh, you describe them as in your article as, as guided by New Age spirituality and that God is mutable, as is truth, and abortion is a sacrament. This, this is very accurate. People might poo-poo this article, but it's, it's right on the money. Um, and in that paragraph where you're talking about this, you're, you're talking about elites and the ruling class, their dutiful henchmen, how that they're willing to bully, beat, burn the makers and creators if they don't adequately produce quote-unquote equity, which is defined by them. And I, it just breaks my heart. And today we're talking with Melissa McKenzie. Uh, Melissa, when I see these businesses being destroyed, uh, burned to the ground, and the leaders in those largely Democrat-controlled cities doing nothing except wanting to defund the police so that we have more riotous behavior. It's shocking. Well, there's a purpose to it. I mean, Right now, this is happening in the cities. Um, And the Democrats who run those cities 
really can't do anything about it because these are their base, right? And so they have mm. to kind of let, let these people maraud, and it serves them too. They've all been counting on Joe Biden getting elected, and then a big financial package will be passed, like what Nancy Pelosi had, that will send a ton of money to these corrupt cities mm-hmm. so they can ostensibly rebuild. But what will happen, as always happens, I'm from Michigan originally, and so I remember the era of Coleman Young. He was always on the take. He ended up a very, very wealthy man, and Detroit ended up a... Um, Eaten out husk. Mm. Uh, it was, it was, and that's what it looks like now. Like a, a cosmic vulture came and picked the city to the bone. And that was what the result of Coleman Young's um, policy. And the federal government gave Detroit a ton of money, you know, opportunity zones, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And the city was, um, destroyed. Yes. We saw just a little bit of that in uh, upstate New York. I I live near Kingston. And years ago, we had um, a major IBM facility in Kingston. Um, They moved moved out, 1993-94 time frame. And for a while, the area didn't feel the effect. But now, we see a rise of smoke shops, dollar stores, tattoo parlors. There's even a, a distribution center for uh, marijuana uh, just outside the city. And we see gangs, increase of gangs. Uh, things are destroyed more. Uh, there's one street in Kingston that literally looks like a third world country. And this used to be a beautiful city, beautiful town. And it breaks my heart. I drive past the old IBM building and um, it's there's weeds growing in the parking lot. And one of the latest uh, buildings that they built before they moved out of town was a gorgeous, I think it was a three-story building. It was just beautiful. And what they had to do, because they were being taxed, whoever the owner is now, uh, on that building sitting there, vacant, they had to chew the thing up. They got some big equipment and all that remains of that beautiful Manufacturing, engineering, development building is just rubble on the ground, a great big pile of rubble. And um, it didn't have to be this way. You know, if, if the tax policies were more suitable to businesses coming in, and if we weren't taxed to death in New York State like we are, uh, with all the restrictions I think one of the wonderful things that uh, the president did was to try to remove some restrictions that were unnecessary, that were protecting no one but this oligarchy. And uh, we saw what happened. Businesses started to thrive. So, yeah, it breaks my heart when I see the oligarchy in charge. And um, you also mentioned how that they can they can persecute people. Uh, any comments about that and what we should expect if, if in fact, they get further in charge? Well, we've already seen it happen, right? I mean, a guy, a vice president at um, Mozilla was fired because of his private donation to a candidate. Um, 
it, another guy at Google was fired because he sent an email questioning um, the merits of their kind of woke hiring policies. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it, we saw, you know, a cake baker in Colorado being persecuted by the state, by the city government, because um, he was being um, provoked by um, people who wanted a wedding cake for the gay marriage and they wanted to force him to create something for them. Mm-hmm. And so all throughout, and so we have, we, the polling was completely off this election cycle. 12% of the voters for Trump were shy voters. Wouldn't tell pollsters that they were voting for him. And for good reason. They fear for their um, reputation. Oh, that is so true. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I was inclined to put out a sign in, in my yard, but I didn't want my house attacked. I was inclined to put a sign on my vehicle, but I didn't want it keyed. Uh, we do not have free speech right now in America because we're going to get beat up or bullied or we're going to get so-called canceled if we speak our minds. Right. And the the left has a long totalitarian streak, okay? I, and it's always been this dust. About 10 years ago... 15 years ago, when I was um, first online, I also, for your listeners, a chiropractor and was in business with my husband and started writing on the side, essentially. Mm. And so back then, I went on maternity leave with my youngest, who is now 15, Hmm. and uh, seems like yesterday. (laughs) And, uh, but anyway, I that's kind of when things started and leftist commenters were commenting about how terrible of a doctor I was on, um, via Google. Oh, there you, you could, go. Like, rate your doctor. Yes. And, um, I wasn't even practicing at that time because I was on maternity leave. So the comments that they left at the time, they said that they were treated by me. I wasn't even practicing mm. and, or in the practice. And so this has gone on. I had, somebody doxing. I had because I had another son who was in the hospital for an extended period of time and was born prematurely and I couldn't get my um, licensing paperwork in on time to the state of Texas. Yes. And that results in a fine and you know it's not really a big deal but I didn't I just couldn't go over to Austin which is what I needed to do to plead my case because I was at home with a sick kid. And so I just paid the fine and was like, forget it, because I didn't have the time to deal with it. I wrote them a note, told them, but, you know, good luck, you know, uh, having a, they wanted proof and stuff. I'm like, I'm not sending you my my child's health records. I'll just pay the fine. That's right. And so, so I did that, but someone from the Huffington Post, an investigative reporter, looked up dirt on me and called me out on Twitter and said, um, I see here that you were um, cited by the state of Texas for not doing whatever you're supposed to do. And (laughs) the explanation was simple, but the fact was is that they were trying to ruin me. And um, thankfully, I've always been self-employed or now work at 
what I consider the greatest conservative magazine out there and am rather immune. But for a person who is in business, owns a small business, or works in the business world, they have to keep their heads down. They have to be quiet. That is so true. They can't. They cannot express how they really feel. They have to sit through those stupid diversity training sessions, which are absolutely insulting, especially to white men. Yes, they are. And they have to bite their tongues and listen to it all, or else they will lose their jobs. They cannot take care of their families. And you're right. In most places, I live in the burbs of tech, of Houston, and um, this the first election of Trump, there were no Trump signs out because everybody was afraid to look stupid. <laughs> this, this time there were more Trump signs, but they came up. I noticed after all the Biden people put their signs up because right. people were like, that's it. Now I'm going to say I'm going to vote, but it's still a problem, right? It's still a concern. Oh, it's um, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so yeah, this is this is very helpful. Um, today we're talking with uh, Melissa McKenzie. She's publisher for the American Spectator. And uh, before I forget, it, it is a great magazine. I, I have a subscription to it, and I would highly recommend it. Um, Melissa, if somebody wants to check you guys out, uh, what's the web address online? It's spectator.org. You get a couple free um, articles so you can get a taste of what you'll get. We have um, a huge uh, post-election magazine coming out. And I'd like to tell your listeners this. The American Spectator was in print for many, many years. About five years ago, we went out of print. And now what we're doing is something very different. We're not doing a monthly magazine. We're doing currently a biannual magazine where we are trying to really capture the times that we're living in, in a timeless way so that people can go, you know, what was happening in 2020? Mm-hmm. Because the online world is so transient that I think we're losing what's meaningful mm. in the bigger story. And so we're, we have a section on art and culture. We have a section on politics, of course. And... We've always had um, this new magazine. We're going to have um, a section on what's going on in the evangelical world, the Orthodox world, and the Catholic world in the various um, institutions because they're all having trouble. Yes, yes. And and so we focus on religion. And, and then we also have some, you know, just fun stuff, satire and that sort of thing um, in a well put together magazine. So I, I would recommend that people subscribe. One thing that they also should know is that we're at the mercy of advertisers. When we get deplatformed, we get no money. So the, mm. the only thing that, and that has happened, we are banned by Google News. We are banned by Apple News. Um, well. we, we, have, we are throttled on Facebook and we have been um, our, our our Twitter account has been deactivated four or five times. It's amazing. Often at the most critical times, like a week before the election, that sort of thing. Yes. So if we don't have people who come to us and who subscribe, we will die. We That's have right. to have an individual relationship with our readers, and without their direct support, we are we will 
uh, go away. That's right. Yeah. So that's how we suffer. You know, if you're in business <laughs> and you're worried about being pro-Trump, well, we have our we they have their own way of canceling us. Advertising is one way, um, and uh, deplatforming us is another. Yes. And, um, so. Well. Um in uh, in closing, I want to read a little quote. It's more contemporary quote from a uh, from Doctor Ben Carson. Um, he says, uh, "We have a war on women, race wars, income wars, age wars, religious wars, anything you can imagine. A house divided against itself cannot stand it, and it's going to be up to us, to people, to begin the focus on the positive things, on the things that we have in common, and stop listening to those who are stoking the fires of division." And um, I thought that was a really good piece of advice. It it played off your phrase, which is the Lord's phrase, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And um, uh, one final comment, anything you want to say, uh, Melissa McKenzie, before we wrap it up today? Keep the faith and um, fight for what you believe in. Mm. You know, it's going to be, it might be rough for a few years. We need to we need to brace ourselves and just and keep fighting and also go to spectator dot org and and uh, <laughs> become a subscriber. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's a famous plug at the end. <laughs> uh, it's well worth it. I can testify to that. Melissa McKenzie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 